Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Community Pharmacy Podcast, where we sit down with our community pharmacy practitioners and leaders to discuss topics relevant to advancement of community-based pharmacy workforce, business, practice, and our profession. My name is Gina Galanu-Luchin. I'm the director of the section of pharmacy educators and section of community pharmacy practitioners. And today I have the pleasure of being your host. In this episode, we are going to have with us Drs. Jordan Rush, Dr. Mary Haston-Vest, and Dr. Ashley Abode about developing innovative partnerships between health system departments of pharmacy with external community pharmacies. So thank you, ladies, for coming. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. We're excited to be here. Well, let's go ahead and start our conversation. So the first thing we wanted to share with our listeners is kind of learn a little bit about each of your background, just to get more um, background on your roles and experience in pharmacy practice. So we'll start it off with Ashley, and then we'll move through everyone on the panel. Well, hi, my name is Ashley Abud. I'm the clinical service coordinator at Rela Discount Drug, and we are a regional independent pharmacy group in eastern North Carolina. Um, I'm a clinical pharmacist, and at our locations, I provide MTM services, chronic care management, remote patient monitoring, diabetes education, as well as, well as other disease states. And hi, everyone. My name is Mary Haston Vest, and I'm an assistant director at UNC Health, overseeing our pharmacy analytics and outcome services. So our service line is comprised of both pharmacists and analysts, and we're responsible for all things data analytics and reporting for pharmacy services across our healthcare system. This includes financial, operational, clinical, and outcomes reporting. And the other arm of our team is really this outcomes piece, where we are tasked with demonstrating the value of pharmacy services. And we're in the process of establishing a health outcomes and research program to lead this work. And I'm Jordan Rush. I'm director of pharmacy over the system retail pharmacy services. So we have about 16 outpatient pharmacies across the system that I help support either directly or indirectly. And then I help oversee our transitions of care teams at the medical center as well, which includes um, our medication history team and then also our meds to beds teams across the system. Wonderful. So we have a good team of community-based practitioners, we have analysts, and we also have administration. And this kind of leads into our discussion for today. So recently, UNC's Department of Pharmacy published a journal in AJHP regarding an innovative partnership model between your health system pharmacy department and external community pharmacies. If you haven't already, for those of you listening, I would check out the recent publication, but let's hear from our speakers about what this collaboration looks like and how we bring all the different players together um, for a successful community-based collaboration. We'll start with Jordan on this one. Okay, sounds good. Um, So I think for us, it all started um, when we really think about the mission of UNC. And so really, UNC Health, our mission is to support the health and well-being of North Carolinians. And when we thought about how we could best do this, it's, you know, pretty impossible for us to to expand our brick and mortar stores across the state to reach all of our patients uh, since we are, you know, the state entity, um, health entity. And so for us, we were trying to just think about what are collaborations that are out there. And we know that CPSN or Community Pharmacy Enhanced Services Network is an awesome network of independent pharmacies across the state. And we really thought that would be a great collaboration opportunity. They've got a really 
dedicated and loyal uh, patient base there with these pharmacies. They provide excellent care and services to the patients. And so we thought this would be a great way to target transitions of care for a lot of our high and moderate risk patients through this collaboration. And so I think I think we can kind of go through this in a little more detail, probably in subsequent questions as far as what that model kind of looks like. But I do think this collaboration was just a great way to, to expand our footprint. Yeah, I, I echo that. Absolutely. Really, this program is allowing both partners, UNC Health and the CPSN pharmacies that we partner with to optimize and enhance care for our shared patients. Um, and that is the number one goal for both of our organizations is optimizing care. I think another huge piece is enhanced communication. So really bridging this gap across care settings um, that has traditionally really kind of been operating in silos, the acute care perspective, and then the community pharmacies that are not part of the healthcare system. So I think that's something we're really excited about and proud of what we've built over the past several years. From the, the community pharmacy standpoint, you know, this partnership and, and this this work we've done together has really helped kind of bridge the gap for the patients. We have so many things as you know, independent pharmacies that we're not seeing um, from our patients as they go through the health system. So this this project and this work we've done together has really helped us provide better care for the patients we have in our communities. It's definitely a great model to get a partnership between the health system and community pharmacies. And one of the key points that stood out to me in the report was a discussion around value based on bundle payments. Um, You spoke about the lack of sustainable solutions that are available to serve as a blueprint for transitions of care partnerships, which is one of the goals that you guys just stated. So can you speak a little bit about the rationale behind this particular program and how you set it up, as well as some of the drivers that led you to partner with the CPSN network that you mentioned? Sure, I can uh, jump us off on that one. Um, And so I think we've learned a lot through the model um, and the evolution of the program. Originally, when we we started down this road, we were thinking that these pharmacies would benefit quite a bit from just the prescription volume that would uh, come their way and hopefully some of the transitions to care billing opportunities that are out there for pharmacists. But, you know, for multiple reasons, we couldn't couldn't implement the transitions of care billing, um, just didn't work out because of the collaborative practice agreements we have within UNC. And so we started to try to explore additional opportunities. And that's when we really started looking at value-based payments and saying, you know, for us, we're seeing these CPSN pharmacies, our partners as providers for these patients and how can they share in with the rewards? Um, and unfortunately, sometimes the risk, but how could they share in the rewards of um, any type of upswing we see with the value-based care and those payments? I know, you know, with COVID, it put a lot of these conversations kind of on hold just because, as you know, um, every health system around, we and every outpatient pharmacy, we got totally overwhelmed uh, during COVID. But now that we're starting to see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, um, we are starting to re- reprioritize this work and reprioritize these discussions with the, within the organization. Mary Haston, is there anything else? I'm sure I left off a lot of good stuff there. <laughs> no, that, that really that really covers it. And I think a key point to highlight is we don't have this figured out yet. Um, I don't know that anyone has it figured out, but this is the right direction and it's all about getting us to that 
ultimate goal and making progress along the way. Um, and we do really believe that this value-based payment route is going to be the right long-term sustainable solution. Many of the quality measures that we're seeing within our existing value-based contracts are medication-related, and they are things that our CPSN pharmacist partners are already addressing and working on through their enhanced services. So we know there's a role here. Um, it's just you know really working with our value-based care teams and with our partners to figure out how do we get them set up as providers, as Jordan mentioned, so that they can participate in these contracts, sharing both the reward um, and the risk. And from a community pharmacy perspective, you know, we kind of understand that this is a trial and error process. I mean, UNC is a very big health system, so we knew it wasn't going to be easy from the get-go. So we know we're going to have to look at different avenues to find a way to be reimbursed for the services we're providing. And, you know, we're happy to kind of serve as that trial and error um, piece as we work through this relationship. That's great. And it definitely does take a little bit of time to, to build this and streamline it, but it sounds like you guys are on the right track. So I wanted to turn our attention to uh, for this next question is um, obviously we have with us Ashley and she, um, as mentioned, um, works for a community based pharmacy who is also heavily involved in the CPSN network. And so for those of us listening, many might not necessarily be familiar with the network. So Ashley, I'm going to turn this over to you and see if you can cover some of the service elements of being part of the network and your role in helping facilitate this collaboration with uh, UNC. Sure. So, you know, we chose to be involved with CPSN because we understand as, you know, an individual community pharmacy, it's very difficult for us to approach bigger health systems like UNC or other payer groups because we are only one pharmacy. We only cover one geographic region. And so through this partnership of pharmacies that are kind of like-minded, where we're doing more than just dispensing for our patients, you know, we're doing adherence packaging, medication synchronization programs, we're providing disease state educations. That's not typical for pharmacy. You know, you think of pharmacy, you know, some people just think, you know, we're going to go there, get our prescription filled, and that's it. It's going to be fast, and that'll be all that they do for us. But we want to really take care of our patients. So, so that really drove us to become involved with CPSN, and we've been um, involved with that since it started in North Carolina, you know, many years ago under the CMMI grant. And so we're really invested in that program. And so through um, that involvement, it's allowed us to, you know, have partners like UNC. It's allowed us to partner with larger payer groups. Right now, they have something with United Healthcare. We've done stuff with Humana. Um, those are all things that are not possible for independent pharmacies by ourselves. Um, and so we've utilized this opportunity to kind of, you know, leverage our network versus our own pharmacy to create those partnerships. And so that's kind of where our involvement has led us. That's great. And from Jordan and Mary Haston, were there any specific drivers to choosing to partner with CPSN network pharmacies and what has been your experience? Yeah, I think, you know, from the get-go, CPSN is just so well-respected. So I think for us, that's definitely where we wanted to. We'd rather kind of partner and support our, our local independent um, outpatient pharmacies rather than this necessarily the the chains. And and two, beyond that, it's just the great services they have, the great relationships they have, the patients. And then, you know, specifically the the 14 that we partnered with, that was strategically done based on kind of the the locations and the shared patients that we had, especially related to the, the patients at the medical center in Chapel Hill. 
And so that's kind of how we went about that partnership is just really looking at what what are those shared patients that we have and then what where's the juice worth of squeeze, I guess, are the biggest the biggest opportunities for shared patients with those locations in particular that we chose. Thank you for that comment. I think we explored a little bit about the partnership and how it was set up, kind of the criteria for choosing who to partner with, but we wanted to maybe explore a little bit about the patient perspective. So when we think about the experience that the patient receives, can you help us navigate the journey from the time they enter the program, the services they, re- they receive, and the types of follow-up? Um, and Mary Haston, we'll probably start with you on that one. Yeah, I can walk through that. So um, really, it starts when a patient is admitted to our medical center. Um, within our electronic health care record, it has their primary pharmacy listed. Um, We have a medication history team who collects medication histories upon admission, and a part of that process is that they confirm the patient's primary pharmacy. Our medication history team um, knows about the partnership. They've been a part of our process, and so when they see that a patient is using and confirms they are using one of our partnered pharmacies, they make them aware of the program and that their pharmacist will be following up with them upon discharge. So that's the first patient engagement piece. At the same time, we have a report that runs every week that is identifying patients who are currently admitted to the hospital who uses one of our partnered pharmacies. Um, This report is generated on our our side of things, the UNC Health side of things, and we have a pharmacist on Jordan's team who actually then reviews that report and sends messages through EPIC to each of our CPSM partners that includes that patient list. Um, So a huge part of our program that has made it successful has been this ability to communicate through through EPIC, through our EHR. So we do have um, limited EHR access that's set up and in place for all of our CPSM partners where we can do this direct communication. From there, the CPSM pharmacists are able to monitor the patients within the EHR and follow up with them upon discharge. They then provide transitions of care services that are a part of their standard care. So this may look like a post-follow-up phone call and then any services that they identify as needed for the patient, from medication reconciliation to adherence counseling. They're able then to communicate back to us on the UNC Health side of things regarding any issues that need to be triaged. So we have both a clinical ambulatory pharmacist who is responsible for you know, looking for these messages from the CPSM pharmacist and triaging them. And we also have a nurse who's also on our clinical ambulatory pharmacy team who supports that and also follows up on these messages and supports the triage. We also use the same mechanism to document any of the services provided within the patient's health record. So that's another great benefit of having this access is that our pharmacist partners are able to directly document within EPIC, the services they're providing. So after a review by the pharmacist or nurse, um, we're able to save that to the chart and it publishes as a progress note within the patient's record of the services that have been provided. Some of the benefits we've seen uh, have really been across the board, you know, resolution of medication problems, everything from dose optimization, prior authorization, um, support, triage resolution, adherence counseling. Um, There's been a, a lot of benefits that we've seen anecdotally and documented to our patients. 
Thank you, Mary Hasten. Ashley, anything to add from the community side and the experience that you guys have and also the patient has once they reach the pharmacy? Oh, yeah, I definitely feel like knowledge is power in this situation where having access to the EHR has been just so helpful for us, um, you know, especially having a blister pack program. If there's changes made, um, we often want to have some kind of way to verify that that's true um, and what what's happened in the hospital or if there was some kind of issue that needs to be resolved. It's nice being able to access that EHR to kind of see what the provider's plan of care for that patient is. And so it's been really, really helpful. I feel like it's probably prevented a lot of medication issues after the patient comes home. Um, and it gives us just you know, some stepping stones to resolving those issues in a quicker manner because you have some direct communication through the EHR to help resolve those issues. So it's been amazing. We've been really grateful for it. And then one thing I'd also add kind of as we touch on these points is, you know, all of these workflows have changed so much um, throughout the whole journey. And so I would, you know, anyone setting up these types of programs always just keep the flexibility and adaptation open just because it, there has been um, kind of a lot of fluid changes to, to adapt the workflows so that it works the best for patients and reaching really as many patients as possible. That's good advice. And I think you guys set it up really well for my next question. I think Mary Haston touched on it and Ashley touched on it a little bit, but what kind of outcomes do you guys track with regards to patient care that encourage you to continue this program and any positive or even negative things that you've noticed throughout? Jordan, we'll start with you on some of the outcomes and metrics you guys have in place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we are very fortunate. We've been able to work with residents on this project as well. And so they've really done a great job studying outcomes associated with the program. And so, you know, for, for one resident project, she studied, Judith, she studied um, patients enrollment through, you know, January 2019 to January 2020. So one year period where we really kicked off the program. And during that time, we were able to enroll 92 patients, really followed about or call 87 medication-related related problems. Mary Haston had touched on, you know, it ranges from adherence being some of the more popular ones, as well as needing additional monitoring, and then need, you know, some changes to the medication therapies as well. You've got the transitional care management as far as an enhanced service that was provided, which touches on those, those post-discharge phone calls and follow-up with the patients at 72 hours, 14 days, and then 28 days post-discharge. And then when you really start to look at what real impact did this have on patients and outcomes, we did see 60 and 90 day readmissions to the medical center for these patients, as well as a reduction in the ED utilization at both 90 and 180 days. We, we looked at adherence rates. We didn't necessarily notice a difference between those patients um, that were enrolled in this program as compared to to. No patients not enrolled in the program, but I will say those adherence rate were pretty close to 70%. So we felt like that was a higher than average in the industry. So it's kind of hard to, hard to put um, too much or kind of beat ourselves up too harshly over that because I think we just had a high adherence rate overall. I know we kind of did some additional studies as well related to implementation outcomes. So I'll let Mary Haston speak to those. 
Yeah, we were really excited to be able to evaluate implementation outcomes. Um, and the reason for this is because we're always interested in implementing new services and really pushing the envelope for innovative service offerings. But we also know that without successful implementation, um, programs often fail. So implementation outcomes are a great validated way to measure that and to understand where there are opportunities to improve, um, to make make programs successful long-term. So we evaluated four implementation domains, and those are adoption, acceptability, feasibility, and appropriateness. So adoption is really looking at, was the program um, done as intended? Uh, did, our, did our teams you know, implement as we had intended for them to implement? Acceptability is perception of the program. Feasibility is looking at, is this feasible to do with current work and responsibilities? And then appropriateness is, from the patient perspective, is this the right intervention for the patient? We evaluated this by distributing a pre and post survey after we had modified our workflows. So again, Jordan talked about how we had updated the program many times um, to get to a smoother process that we felt was working. We wanted to understand perceptions before these workflow changes um, and after the workflow changes, and we had a resident supporting us on leading this work. We did find um, that there was a statistically significant improvement before and after the workflow were changes on all of our implementation domains, except for acceptability, which is perception of the program. So overall, we really did find that the implementation was successful given the the work we had done to optimize our workflows and have those put in place. That's great. Ashley, any any measures from your side or any any even anecdotal outcomes that you've noticed in the community side? We haven't really done any outcome analysis on our side, but I can speak more to, you know, why we continue the service. You know, having this partnership with UNC has really helped us gain access to other EHRs because having that knowledge that we're involved with a bigger health system um, and working with their patients has really helped build confidence from some of our smaller providers when having hesitations with working with us. And, you know, using, you know, the blueprints that we've created through this partnership has allowed us to kind of build some other programs. And so it's been really helpful. And, you know, we're very encouraged by what we've seen and the results we've had um, from working with UNC. That's great. It is nice to see benefits from both sides and also ultimately the patient side with the great outcomes that you guys um, just described. So we're nearing kind of the end. I have just a couple more questions for the group, but one of them is about implementation. So we talked about implementation outcomes that Mary Haston covered, and then we touched a little bit on how the partnership was set up. So, but can you maybe walk us through the process of creating the partnership? from a logistics and advocacy standpoint, and then also some advice that you have for others who may operationally be at the start of attempting a similar program. Maybe Mary Haston will start with you. Yeah, um, it's, it's a really important consideration. And I think what I would keep, keep in mind, encourage everyone to keep in mind is that um, you have to walk before you can run and you also have to crawl before you can walk. So starting small, was beneficial to us. We started at the very beginning with two two partners, then quickly expanded to our third partner, Relo, which is in, which encompasses several pharmacies. And having you know a limited number of partners early on was very helpful in both establishing the shared goals for the program 
and developing workflows um, that worked for all of all of our partners um, and our teams. I think if we had tried to jump in with a really large number of pharmacies we were partnering with, it would have um, been very rate limiting to develop workflows and to do that rapid improvement and workflow improvement that we were able to do. I also think it was really important for us to take the time to develop the goals, to develop workflows, to write standard operating procedures um, and have those in place before implementation. We did this through establishing a monthly meeting um, that had all participants, all of our teams at UNC that were a part of the program were engaged, all of our CPSM partners were engaged, crucial early on when we were putting things in place, working on workflows, making improvements, and we still have that in place today. Um, so it's still important for us to have really close connectivity where we can talk about, you know, things we're seeing current state, how are we doing um, with COVID, what needs to be paused, um, and now as we're looking forward to the future to have more of that um, strategy time. So those have been some things that really worked well, well for us um, having really close communication pathways, a limited number of partners, and working on the workflows before launching. Jordan, anything you'd add to that? Yeah, I com- I completely agree with everything you said. I think, you know, I know we've referenced the, the changes to workflows quite a bit. You know, for us, really the impetus behind that is we started the program, we were seeing that patients weren't getting enrolled. That was kind of, I think, the starting point of really looking at and evaluating workflows at that time. You you needed to opt in to our meds to bed service, and then those technicians would then opt you into um, this transitions care service of, you know, this partnership with the CPSN pharmacies. What we found there is these patients are just so loyal to the pharmacies, we removed that double opt-in requirement. And so you know, I think we wouldn't have seen that if we weren't doing these uh, monthly meetings and the touch bases and the and the great communication through those pathways. You know, we we tweaked and modified workflows uh, even more. You know, as you mentioned, gaining the access to patient publishing notes within the EMR, um, making sure we really are closing the loop on communication, sending out reports on a timely basis, and so I think that really fostered collaboration and improve the workflows to improve that adoption and the implementation outcomes that we saw. I think the other piece is, you know, is that, you know, this was a great collaboration. Everyone was open and willing to give that feedback, um, modify workflows as needed. I think you hit on the big point. We we didn't want to expand too quickly, especially until we figure out some of these reimbursement challenges that we're having now. Um, we just think we need to make sure we intentionally grow the program now that we've been able to prove proof of concept and how well it works. And I do think just gaining that access to the EMR was just so great um, for the the collaboration, the partnership, and even hearing, you know, Ashley's feedback on having access to it. I think that's just a great improvement for transitions care for patients. Ashley, <laughs> any other things to, to touch on? I think from just the community pharmacy perspective, it's just really important to be open with feedback to the, you know, to your partner about what's working and what's not. And that's been really helpful, especially with those monthly calls that we've been able to provide that information. And um, you guys have been really receptive and really great at, at kind of 
hearing us and, and making the changes we needed to make this successful. And, you know, just as advice to other community pharmacies that might be trying to build these partnerships with, um, with health systems, you know, you really just have to have some patience. You know, we we're doing this as a free pilot to help kind of navigate what payment options would work. It takes time. If we can, you know, utilize our students from pharmacy schools as well as, well as our residents to help build these processes, it's so helpful and it makes it a little bit more financially sustainable while you're in the trial period. And so, you know, having had done that, I, I think we've seen some good successes and some good leaps in making this partnership work. That's great. It sounds like take it step by step <laughs> and lots of communication um, is the recipe here. And so the last thing that I wanted us to conclude on is, is thinking ahead and looking at the future. So what is your advice and maybe even future, future direction for this partnership? Where do you see it go in, in, in future years? And uh, maybe some advice for others as they're embarking on this journey with your plans. Um, Jordan, maybe we'll start with you on this one. Sure. Um, so I know I kind of opened with this and I'll, I'll close with it as well. Um, you know, for us, UNC, we we don't have the ability to, you know, build brick and mortar stores across our whole state yet. Here's our mission as an organization to take care of North Carolinians. And so this, you know, for us, we needed to think outside of the box. How can we improve transitions of care um, and do it in a, a fiscally responsible way, I would say, Um where we can improve the care of our patients and then really be a win-win for all. And I think we found that sweet spot with this partnership. And so I just encourage others to, you know, think outside of the box. It may, it may be that you need some innovative partnerships outside of your organization to help that. We're seeing it improves outcomes. Um, it helps, you know, our community partners. It helps our patients. Um, and so I do think it's a great collaboration for us, we'll we'll keep exploring what those payment options look like for these these pharmacy partners, but then also what other opportunities outside of just transitions of care could we focus on? I know we've looked at some COPD inhaler teaching and some other explored some other opportunities as well. So I think this just opens up the the gate um, for for more collaboration opportunities. Mary Haston, anything else to add? Yeah, I think. I think you summed it up perfectly. I don't have much to add. I think, you know, just as you said, there's so much potential to continue to expand with our current partners, um, you know, really thinking beyond transitions of care into the ambulatory um, world and care setting, uh, particularly with the quality measures that we're seeing within our value care contracts. Um, I think there's also a lot of opportunity to continue to expand, to expand our partners. The CPSN footprint is really large um, and our goal is to provide care for all of North Carolinians. Um, and of course, you know, as we've talked about a lot, this is all dependent on a payment model that works and that's sustainable. Uh, so that will continue to be our top priority. Yeah, absolutely. We're just going to keep trying to find a way to to get paid for the services we're providing. We're not going to leave a rock unturned and, you know, hopefully, in the next year, we'll see some big growth, especially as we get through, you know, COVID and, you know, the other priorities our teams have had. So I really foresee next year we'll be at a different place with this partnership. I hope so, too. Maybe we'll have this conversation again in, in a year and see where we're at. 
Thank you all three very much for your time today and for sharing your journey and for sharing this partnership. Hopefully this has served as a good blueprint for those of you listening and interested in in doing similar partnerships in your institution. If you haven't before, for those of you listening, I encourage you to also check out ACHP's online resources for community pharmacy practitioners at ashp.org slash SCPP. That's for section of community pharmacy practitioners. And you can also find additional member-exclusive resources like the Community Pharmacy Resource Center, ASHPSafeMedication.com site for patients, and more. Thank you again to our speakers, and thanks everyone for joining us for this episode of Community Pharmacy Podcasts. See you next time. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time.